Last week, you may or may not remember that I began the message by talking about a few men that are Vietnam veterans who are highly decorated, who have seen their fair, who saw their fair share of battle uh, there in Vietnam, and how it's an experience that they don't have to talk about to be happy. That it's not something that they have to bring up in conversation. In their minds, they were simply doing what they were called on to do, and that's really the end of the discussion for them. And I tried to contrast their attitude with that of the NBC nightly newsman, that being Brian Williams, and how he lied and how he embellished and how he exaggerated not only his lack of service to the U.S. military, but even what he experienced as a reporter. And I said that the reason for that was because of his pride and his uh, desire to impress his peers, his, his desire to uh, make himself look better than what he truly is. And I talked about how what Brian Williams was guilty of by way of pride and by way of exaggeration and doing so in an effort to get the attention of others is not something that is uncommon to man, but that every one of us have struggled with that at different times in our lives. Every one of us have struggled with pride. Every one of us have struggled with the desire to impress people. And we use that illustration in an effort to segue into the message, that being where Christ spoke about the giving of alms or the fact that uh, we should be charitable and we should be generous in our giving to others. Do you remember this? Does this sound familiar and ring a bell? All right, so Christ spoke in verse number 1, and he said, Take heed that ye do not your alms before men. The idea was not whether or not people would give alms. It was assumed that they would be generous, that they would be charitable, charitable, but he said, take heed or use caution and have some discernment and, and be careful here. You don't want to do this just to be seen of men. And he said, you don't want to sound the trumpet in verse number two before, uh, you don't want to have the trumpet sounded before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues. And Christ made this very clear that whenever we seek the praise of men and whenever we seek the attention of men, then whatever praise we get, whatever kind words we get, that is all the rewards the generous or the giving person gets. And so he said in verse number 3 that this is how giving should look. It should be discreet. He said, Let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth. He said that thine alms may be in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret seeth shall reward thee openly. And so what Christ told the disciples, or what Christ, yes, the disciples and what he would tell us, is this, is that when we give, we need to be discreet. We're not looking for the praise of man. We're not looking for the attention of man. We are simply striving to do what we're supposed to do by way of generosity, and then at the appropriate times, God will bless. All right? So that's where we were at last week. This evening, we're going to continue on because I said last week that these next few verses, it's all dealing with the idea of doing that which would be right, but for the wrong reasons. Doing that which is right, not necessarily for the glory of God, not necessarily, not necessarily for the, the purpose of drawing us closer to God, but for the glorification of man and for the, the glorification of self. And so this evening we're going to begin looking in verse number 5. We're going to look down in verse number 8. And here's what we'll discover very quickly. The subject is dealing with that of prayer. And Christ is just going to kind of go to the subject of prayer, and he's going to spend a little bit of time on the subject of prayer. He'll not get through this one as quickly as he did the subject of giving of alms. But tonight I want to begin by saying this, and I know that you know this, but I want us to be very clear on this, that it is the expectation of God that God's people would pray. 
It is the expectation of God that God's people would be men and women of prayer. Just as God would assume that you and I would be generous and that we would be charitable and that we would be giving, it is also just naturally assumed in the heart and in the mind of God that we would be men and women of prayer, men and women who would desire and who would make the time and who would make the effort to communicate with our God in prayer. If prayer was not to be an essential part of the Christian's life, then Christ himself would not have led by example in the area of prayer and been a man of prayer himself. I know that you know this, but tonight I just want to remind us of this very simple truth that Christ was a man who had a consistent prayer life. Not only did he have a consistent prayer life, he had a consistent place where he would like to go when he had the opportunity, that being the Garden of Gethsemane. You'll remember that when Judas betrayed Christ, he knew where he would be able to find him because Christ was known to go to that area and to spend that time in prayer. And so here is what is assumed would be true of every child of God is that we would be men and women of prayer. That would be assumed. But such is not always the case, is it? Somebody says, well, what, do you exactly, what exactly do you mean? Well, it would be assumed that all of God's people would be charitable and giving and generous. But that is not the case. Many people who identify themselves as children of God, they're tight-fisted when it comes to their financial resources. There are many people that when it comes to the giving and when it comes to the idea of being charitable and generous and, and doing what they're supposed to be doing by way of almsgiving, almsgiving they, they decide that it's within their right and it's within their authority to do what they will with their money and they fail to realize that giving is an essential part of the spiritual life. And just as it is so with the idea of giving and being charitable and being generous, such is the case with prayer. I wish, I've said this before, I wish there was some way that I could prove this, but I am convinced that more and more people who profess to be children of God do not have the prayer time with Him that they ought to have. And there are so many excuses in life to justify it. They're far too busy to really spend time in prayer with God. If you knew what kind of schedule I was keeping, you would understand why I don't pray. You understand, if, if, if you had the day that I have, where you had to wake up as early as I have to wake up, and if you had to work as late as I have to work, if you had as many things going on in your life, preacher, as I've got going on in my life, then, then you would understand why, why I don't pray. Friends, that's an excuse. That is all it is. It is an excuse. We have time to get on the internet. We have time to watch television. We have time to, to do so many other things in life that are not prayer related. And yet we want to pretend that we simply don't have time to pray. It is not so. We have time to pray. It's just a whether or not it will be a priority to us. 
And then when people many times say, oh, no, 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 I pray, Brother Kyle. You don't have to question that. I pray. They go about it the wrong way. Somebody says there's a right and wrong way to pray, seemingly. Because Christ is going to address the subject of prayer and he will do so extensively. It's as though there is a right way and a wrong way in which to pray. Now tonight we'll deal with this more in just a little bit in a few moments, but he says in verse number 8, he says, Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. Now I, I want to say this tonight. I don't understand why the Scripture reminds us that God, that God knows what we have need of before we ask him, and he would still expect us to pray. But it must be important that we pray, even though he already knows exactly what we need. Well, if he already knows what I need, then why do I need to say anything to him? I don't know. I guess he wants to hear from you. Well, if he already knows what I've got lying before me for the day, then, then why is it that I need to communicate it to him? I guess he wants us to cast all of our cares upon him. The Lord Jesus Christ made it clear to the disciples, it is assumed that you will be men of prayer. And for us tonight, it would be assumed that we would be men and women of prayer. And so let me just say this. I know that I'm treading into dangerous territory tonight. I know that I'm treading into territory where someone might say, well, you don't know, and you can't say that with certainty. Listen, I'm going to try my best not to interject any of my own thoughts or opinions on this. I want to simply show us what the Word of God says, and then you have to decide if you have the prayer life you're supposed to have and if you have the right kind of prayer life before God. God himself because there's a right way and there is a wrong way in which to pray and you and I should be concerned about doing this the right way Amen. so notice what he says in verse number five he says and when thou prayest thou shall not be as the hypocrites are what does it mean when Christ speaks of the hypocrites we talked about this last week the hypocrites were the actors they were the ones who played the part. They were the ones who looked like one thing on the outside, but they themselves were something totally different. Now notice, please, just as you could be a hypocrite in your giving, just as, just as you could give money to charitable organizations for all the wrong reasons, we must understand this, that hypocrites can pray as much as the true, genuine believer can pray. Get this, hypocrites can pray and pray well. How do we know? Because he says, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogue and in the street corner of the streets that they may be seen of men. He said there's something about hypocrites. There's something about the actors. There's something about the fakes. When it comes to their prayer life, here is what they do. They love to pray while standing in the synagogue or in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. 
Tonight, I don't know if this would be 100% accurate. I don't know if this is exactly the way that it was back in the days of Christ. But it is said that there were certain hours of the day in which the Jews were called to prayer. It said that it was three times a day at 9 o'clock in the morning at what we would refer to as noon and what we would also call 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And it was understood that in the minds of the religious people that at 9 and at noon and at 3, that is when you stop and that is when you pause and that is when you would offer up unto God certain prayers. And again, it's suggested that these prayers that would be prayed on behalf of the religious, that they were memorized prayers, that they were written prayers, and they could be said with sincerity, but at the same time, it could also be just a religious function that they would engage in or a religious activity that they would participate in and their hearts and their minds be far, far removed from what they were doing. So why would Christ say that they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets? Well, again, it is suggested that here is what the hypocrites enjoyed doing. They enjoyed timing the activity of their day to where when it was time to pray, when the call of prayer went forth, that it just so happened that they could be standing in the synagogues where others would be or that they might be standing at the corners of the busy streets where others could take note of them and not only see their religious activity, but hear the prayers in which they were offering supposedly to God. So it's said that something like this would take place. Nearing the nine o'clock hour, I need to begin making my way toward the synagogue. Maybe toward the noon hour or toward the three o'clock hour. I need to start making my way toward the busy synagogue. Why? So that whenever it's time to pray, I can begin to pray and to do so eloquently and to be heard and to be seen of those around me. And here is what Christ said. For those who do such a thing, they have their reward. They have their reward. They have just received, by way of the praise of man, every benefit and every reward that's going to come to them because of what they have done. But there is no spiritual or eternal reward associated with their prayers just because they have prayed well or just because they have prayed eloquently or just because they pray consistently. There's no reward in that. Now again, what would motivate someone in their religious exercise to make sure that they were in the synagogue or a busy street corner? What would motivate them to be in those particular locations when it was time to pray? It could be one thing and one thing only, their own self-pride. I want people to hear me pray, and I want people to hear how well I pray. I want to impress everyone around me how good I sound when I talk to God. Tonight I'm going to ask us just a couple of questions, and you don't have to be honest. You can sit there and say, nope, it's never happened to me. But I want to ask you tonight this question. How many of us 
have ever been asked to pray or called on to pray, and the last thing you forgot or the last thing that you remembered was this, that you were communicating with God. Somebody may say, I don't know exactly what you're talking about. How many of us have ever been called on to pray and you were nervous that you might say something stupid when you prayed? And so what did you begin to do? You began to think, okay, now what do I say in this situation? And what do I say in this moment? And what is it that I'm supposed to express by way of thought? And, and immediately as the wheels began turning, what are we then trying to do? Many times, whether we want to admit this or not, in those moments of prayer, when we are asked to pray, when we are called upon to pray, here is our number one goal and here is our number one priority don't embarrass yourself. Sounds good. Like you know what you're doing. You don't want to be asked to pray for the offering and accidentally bless the food. Well, I'd feel stupid. I'd sound like an idiot. Yes, you would. But why are we even mindful that we might flub it up like that? Because we're mindful of ourselves and what we sound like. How many times have we prayed with someone? And how many times have we been called upon maybe to pray in a small setting, like a ladies' group Bible study or just a men's prayer meeting? And, and as we're called upon to pray or as it's our turn to pray, we begin to be more worried about what we're saying and how we sound because we don't want to sound silly or ridiculous to people around us, we've lost sight of who it is we're truly communicating with. I've heard people say things like this, well, I'm not comfortable coming to men's prayer meeting because I'm not comfortable praying around other men. Now, essentially, whether anybody would admit this or not, what they're saying is this, I don't want to sound silly in front of other people when I pray. Well, don't call upon me to ever pray at church, Pastor, because I don't pray very well in public. And, and I get all nervous, and I get all tongue-tied, and I, I don't say what I want to say, and I don't say what's on my heart. Now, immediately, whether we realize this or not, you know what we're doing? We are placing the focus and attention on ourselves rather than the one we are desiring to, to communicate with by way of prayer. I know I've mentioned this before, so please pardon the, the repetition, but, but I can think back over the course of my lives when I've had those moments in which I'm praying, either publicly or with someone, maybe that I respect and someone that I admire or look up to. And, and in the midst of being in those situations, I have been struggling with my thoughts. I'll say this. Be sure and say this. You want to avoid doing this, and you want to try to stay away from saying this. And you know what I've begun to focus on in moments like that? I've begun to focus on myself. Because whenever it's all said and done, here's what I want. I want somebody to think the prayer went well. Now, you may not ever struggle with your pride in front of the eyes of man. But if we're not careful, even in the matter of prayer, we can be called upon and we can be asked to pray or we can avoid situations where we would be heard by others because we don't want to sound foolish 
when it comes to our prayers. We've got to remember that our audience is not man. Listen, please. When you and I are supposedly communicating to God, our audience then is not man. Our audience is God, and God is not worried about us impressing Him. God is not worried about us being eloquent, and God is not worried about us giving Him information that He doesn't necessarily need and giving a context of of so many events that really don't have anything to do with this. God wants us to pray, but He does not want us to do it for the praise of man. We've all experienced this, have we not? Not only being the one who was nervous about praying, but the one where you've thought, I think they just prayed to us rather than to God. Have you ever been in a situation like that where you've heard someone pray and, and it's like they tried really hard to sound really smart and really intelligent and really spiritual and really godly in their prayers? Why does that happen? Because that's what men and women struggle with is their pride when it comes to their prayer life. Especially if it is something that involves a public setting or a public arena. And so we have to be careful, Christ said to the disciples, Do not pray as the hypocrites do. They love to pray in the synagogue. They love to pray in the corners of the streets so that people can see them and so that people can hear them and just be in awe and impressed by them. And Christ says when that happens, they have their reward. But then he says in verse number 7, But when ye pray, use not vain repetition as the heathen do. For they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Vain repetition. What is vain repetition? It's, it's simply empty mutterings over and over and over again. Christ said in verse number 7, When you pray, you want to avoid using vain repetition as the heathen do. Because here is what they think and here is what they believe, that with much speaking, their prayers will be better heard. We ever witnessed this? I know this may not be the most exciting subject to address, but Christ felt the need to address it with his disciples, so we probably ought to address it in our own lives, right? If we're not careful, you know what we'll find ourselves doing? We'll find ourselves being being very repetitive in our prayer lives. Why are we very repetitive in our prayer lives? I think there are a multitude of reasons as to why it can happen. But I think sometimes, and I know that this is part of my opinion here, and feel free to do with it what you want, but I think sometimes we, we are repetitive in our prayers because we're not really paying attention to what it is we've already said to God in prayer. I think sometimes we pray selfishly, so we pray for the same thing over and over and over and over. And I think sometimes we pray repetitively because it's easier to do that than to actually engage our mind in what it is we're doing by way of praying and communicating to the Lord. 
I know I've said this before, and again, pardon the, the repetition, but, but I remember as a child I had my prayer the exact same way every night that I would go to bed. And I've heard adults say something like this, every night when I go to bed I say the Lord's Prayer as if that's the way that we were intended to pray. That is not what we're supposed to say. That is a model by which to, to develop and to build our prayers. Vain repetition. Because we sound better. We, we prayed longer. We were able to accomplish more because we said the same things over and over again. Christ said that's not how you want to pray. That is not what you want to do. Essentially what Christ is saying is this. Long prayers are not more effective than short prayers. So somebody says, so Christ is advocating short prayers. Not necessarily. What did Christ say to the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane the night that he was betrayed? He rebuked Peter, James, and John and said, Could you not pray? How long? An hour. <laughs> Chew on that for a moment. Christ is saying, you couldn't even pray an hour? All I'm asking of you, disciples, is one short hour. See, there are some people who would like to say something like this. Hey, I can get all my prayers done. Yeah, I usually pray. How long do you normally pray? Oh, I pray about five minutes a day. Now listen, in and of itself, I can't say, well, your prayer life is not effective and your prayer life isn't what it's supposed to be. But I would say this. If Christ rebuked the disciples because they could not pray with them an hour, pray with him an hour, I would suspect that he would not be overly impressed with the one who only prays five to ten minutes a day. That's scripture, is it not? I'm not the one standing before you who says, I assume that Christ said, could you not only pray an hour? That is what Christ said to the disciples. So how is it that you could not, Christ says to them, pray with me one hour, just one hour out of your day? And so here's what we have to understand, that while Christ is not suggesting that longer prayers are more effective than the shorter prayers, there would also be an understanding as we consider all of the context of Scripture that prayer should take a little bit of time out of our lives. So I know I said this a couple of weeks ago, but it concerns me. It truly concerns me, and we talked about this in Sunday school this morning, but it concerns me when people can go through their daily lives and not spend what we would consider to be significant amounts of time with God. How how can we assume that as Christians it's appropriate and it's acceptable to go through our days and not spend significant time with God? That's not what Christ assumed would be true of his disciples. 
So he says in verse number 5, you don't want to be like the hypocrites who love to stand in the synagogues or in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. And he said in verse number 7, you don't want to use the vain repetition. You're not just trying to repeat yourself over and over again with the assumption that that will somehow generate a better response on the part of God and you'll be heard better. But he said in verse number 6, but thou, when thou prayest, this is what you do. When thou prayest, enter into thy closet. Is this what Christ said? Enter into your closet. The closet, as Christ was speaking of, is not what you and I would think of as a closet, where we keep our clothes, where we keep supplies, where we keep our games, whatever it may be. The closet was a reference to an inner room. See, if I were to take this from a simply literal approach where Christ said, enter into thy closet, do you know the struggle I would have being obedient to this? Because I don't have any large closets and I've got junk inside my closets. But what Christ is saying to the disciples is this, when thou pray, you're not looking to be in the synagogue, you're not looking to be on the street corners of the markets, you're not looking to be repetitious. What you are looking to do is this, when you pray, enter into that inner room, enter into that private area, and he says, and when thou hast shut thy door, Pray to thy Father which is in secret. What is he saying? He is saying this, Disciples, when you pray, you need to get alone with God, just you and Him and no one else. You've got to enter into that quiet place. You've got to enter into that that secluded place. You've got to enter into that uninterrupted place. When we pray the way we're supposed to, we will not seek the audience of man. We will seek to get alone with God and seek the audience of God alone. You enter into that closet. You enter into that inner room. You enter into that quiet place. You enter into that place of privacy. And when you have shut the door, when you have enclosed yourself, when you have separated yourself from the distractions as best you can, then that is when you pray to the Father. Now, was Christ condemning public prayer? Was he saying that public prayer was not appropriate? Not at all. We read in the Scripture how prayer meetings were taking, uh, taking part in the book of Acts on behalf of Peter. Christ is not condemning public prayer. But what he is saying is this, for our communication with God, it is supposed to be a private and personal matter where we do so removed from the distractions. Listen, where we remove ourselves from the distractions of this life. So again, repeating myself, someone says something like this, I just pray at work. There's nothing wrong with praying at work. But that cannot replace our personal quiet time with God in prayer. For these people who say things like this, well, I just pray all day long. First of all, that's a lie. 
Because no one can truly pray all day long unless they have absolutely nothing else going on in their life. And usually those people aren't disciplined enough to pray all day long. Somebody says, well, I like to pray and do so, as I've said before, while I'm driving down the road. That's fine. That's good. But that cannot replace our personal, private, quiet time with God in prayer. Christ said to the disciples specifically, He said, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, Pray to thy Father which is in secret. Get alone with God and pray. Can I remind us of a couple of things in light of what Christ says? My personal prayer time cannot be replaced by a prayer time Involving Susie. Get this. There is nothing wrong with me and Susie praying together. And we do that from time to time. But I'll just be very honest with you. We don't pray with each other every day. And I am not going to make my time of prayer with Susie to be my prayer time. Why? Because I need my own personal time in which I alone go to God and pray to Him. Why? Because over the course of my life, here's what I've discovered. There are some things that I'll need to pray about that Susie doesn't need to know about. I'm going to have struggles sometimes that she doesn't need to be aware of. And there are going to be times in my life where I'm going to pray about things that she doesn't need to be burdened with. There are certain things that go on in the ministry. There are certain things that go on in my dealings with other people that I may tell her a little bit about what's going on, but I don't always tell her everything that's going on. Why? Because she doesn't need the burden of everything that's going on. But there are times in my life where it needs to be not she and I. It needs to be just me and God Period. End of discussion. And so if the only way you pray is corporately with you and your spouse, understand there's nothing wrong with that, but that is not how you're supposed to pray. Enter into your closet, shut the door, and communicate with God. Somebody says, well, we have our family devotions, and that's when we have our time of prayer. You know, that's when we get the family together, and, and we read a verse of Scripture, or we read a chapter, and that's whenever we'll spend time together in prayer as a family. Listen, that is fine, and that is good, and that is beneficial. But your time in prayer with your family cannot replace your time in prayer with God alone. Same thing. There are things that my children don't need to hear me praying about. Well, why don't they need to hear you praying about them? Because there are certain things that because of maturity level, they don't know how to process it the right way. 
And there are just certain things that they don't need to be exposed to. And there are certain things that they don't need to worry about. And there are certain things that they don't need to be concerned with. And so there are still things that I need to pray about, but I don't need to pray about in front of them. Why? Because they don't need to hear what I'm praying about because they're not ready for it. But I cannot use that as an excuse or an out for me spending time with God and God alone. My Sunday morning prayers are not enough. It's a wonderful thing for the men of this church to come together at 715 and to pray. I'm just going to go ahead and put a plug in right here. And you can deal with this however you want. But it is a wonderful thing for us as men to pray. And to be here at 715, we're capable and we're able if it's a priority to us and if it's, and if it's something that we care about. And somebody says, well, I don't do corporate prayer, prayer. Now, hold on. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Listen, it is okay for us to come together and to pray in groups. And it is effective, as I've already said in the book of Acts. But what I want us to understand is this. If anyone is of the mindset, well, I'll go on Sunday mornings and I'll pray there and I'll have my private time. That is not ever to replace our prayers with God on a weekly basis alone. When I pray, you're expected to pray, Kyle? Yeah, yes, I'm expected to pray. Why are you expected to pray? Because I'm a Christian. And just as Christians are expected to be generous, Christians are expected to pray. So when you pray, what are you supposed to do? I'm not supposed to worry about an audience. I'm not supposed to worry about who is listening and, and what may be said. I'm not looking for the praise of man. I'm not looking for the reward of man. That is not what I'm looking for. And I am not looking to repeat myself with vain repetition so as to assume that God will somehow hear this and he'll be impressed by it and that he'll somehow answer it more quickly or whatever it may be. No, that is not how I pray. Here is how I pray. I enter into a quiet place, free from distraction, and I get alone with God, just me and Him, and I communicate what is on my heart. Not because He doesn't know what I need, but because He still wants to hear me pray. He doesn't say that we have to kneel. He doesn't say that we can't pray standing up. He doesn't say that we can't pray in certain positions or in different places. But what he is implying and what he is indicating is this, is you've got to get alone with God in prayer. You have to. And if we're not getting alone with God in prayer, please know, we're not praying correctly. If you're not getting alone with God and saying, I'm going to remove myself from all the distractions, from all the noise and whatever it may be that would interrupt my prayer time, if we're not getting away from all of that so that we can spend time with God, we're not praying as we ought to be praying as Christians. Somebody might say something like this. Do you know how early I'd have to get up to do that? 
I don't know how early you'd have to get up to do that. But if that's what you have to do, then that's what you need to do. Somebody might say, well, I can't do that. I've, I've, you know, I've got so much going on in the mornings. Okay, then here's what you would do sometime in the evening before the day comes to a close. You would give yourself plenty of time. Plenty of time to remove yourself from the activity of the house, from the activity of the day, and say, I must spend time with Christ, with God in prayer. I have to. For my own spiritual health and my own spiritual well-being. I say my prayers every day right before I get out of bed. That's wonderful. Maybe. Well, I just like to pray while I'm at work. That's, that's good. But I want to ask you, believer. When do you get alone with God? When do you get alone with God and pray? And if you don't get alone with God and pray, then just understand this. Spiritually, you're not where you're supposed to be. Well, I don't like that. Speak to Christ. Because he's the one who said, go in the closet, shut the door, and pray in secret. And then he said very quickly, And thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. I don't know how Christ does it. I don't know what Christ decides to do or God decides to do in order to reward those who have the secret prayer life, the private prayer life that it's supposed to be. But somehow when you and I are faithful to be the men and women of prayer we're supposed to be, God will reward that at the right time, at the appropriate time, and in the right manner. Disciple, child of God, do you have the prayer life you're supposed to have? Do you have the prayer life you're supposed to have? You know in your heart of hearts if your prayer life is what it's supposed to be. Let's all stand this evening and bow our heads for a word of prayer. God, I pray that you'd help every one of us tonight to allow your spirit to speak to us. I pray that we would not try to deceive ourselves into assuming that our prayer life is okay if we know that our